In Matthew 6.13, Jesus concludes the Lord's Prayer with this, And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. We're continuing the series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer, and we'll be focusing on the message titled, Protection. With this topic, we delve into Jesus' teachings where he instructs us in the Lord's Prayer to seek the divine shield of God against the seduction of sin. Here's founding pastor, Perry Dunner. Thank you, Preston. And I want to thank all of you, too, for uh, the last time I was up here. Um, was the anniversary, and, and I received so many really kind messages from you, cards from you. Um, the church gave me a, a generous gift, and many of you have, and some of you even made gifts with your own hands, and I have appreciated that. I my verse for the years that Leanne and I've been here, three decades, have, has been from Psalms. My feet have fallen on pleasant places, and so much of our experience has been, and you've made that pleasant. So glad to be back here again today. I, um, I might be nervous, but <laughs> we, we continue our series Jesus at the center of prayer from the Lord's Prayer passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope that you have learned from this passage. I think it's been a good one. These um, daily devotional book that was put together has been good. I hope that you have attempted to use that. And even if you miss a few days, just, just to spend some time turning your attention to God the first thing in the morning or evening or whenever you choose. It's just a good way to start, isn't it? The title to today's message, which is taken from verse 13, is protection. Matthew 6, verse 13 says, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, the word temptation is a Greek word, parasmo, and what it means is a putting to proof. And that means putting to proof by a test, by a trial, or by a temptation. You see, this word that's translated temptation here in the uh, New Living Version can be translated any of those ways, trial, test, or temptation, because it's a neutral word. It's a word that is neither good nor bad. What determines whether this test, trial, or temptation is good or bad is our response to that test. It's the test which either proves and strengthens our faith, or it's a temptation which seduces us into sin. The character of our faith or the lack of faith is proven through this trying experience. I don't know that we can see the real, take the real measure of our faith when we're not under trial, when everything is going well in our lives. We don't really know what we're capable of. We don't know the strength of our belief in Christ. The context in verse 13, rescue from the evil one is the way, again, the new living is translated, but it Since it refers particularly to evil there, the context seems to imply that as Jesus was talking to his disciples and through them to us, he is focused more on an enticement to sin. But the Greek word does apply to both. 
Greek manuscripts also differ whether this deliverance is from evil generally or from evil personified, the evil one, Satan, which is more likely, but there are some ancient manuscripts that don't personify it as a reference to Satan, but rather a reference to evil or sin generally. And for our purpose, the distinction doesn't really matter. Jesus knew that tests and trials and temptations lay ahead for all of his disciples, and that includes us. Every one of us has encountered and will encounter these trials, these tests, and these temptations. And so we pray, don't let us yield. That's a good translation, I think. The word yield in the Greek, isphero, means carry inward, bring in or lead into temptations. In other words, this prayer is saying, don't let us bring this temptation into ourselves so that we pay attention to it so that it enters our minds, so that it controls our thoughts, so that it commands our actions. Now, who were these people? What was their mindset when it's, it's saying, lead us not into temptation? That's a little bit puzzling, isn't it? Because Jesus certainly wouldn't tempt people to sin, but the perspective of who he was addressing was these were believers who desired to stay in intimate contact with God. So they wanted to avoid the possible danger or the trouble that sin creates. And so they're saying, don't let me even be tempted because I want to stay close to you, God. And their attitude was not just because they knew that they would suffer personal pain from the sin, but more so because they knew that any sin that they indulged would dishonor God. And they were motivated by their relationship with God, by their love for him, by the fact that he sacrificed his own son to die, to free us from these dominating sins. And so the prayer is saying, in essence, Lord, stop us before Satan can turn your test into a temptation. So how can we avoid yielding to temptation. We're going to look at several things from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, which Preston read for us so well. Now, that passage was written by Paul to the church in Corinth, and it was written as a warning to believers. He wrote about the Hebrews' rebellion against God in the wilderness. Because think about it, these people, they were enslaved in Egypt. Well, they were led out of slavery, delivered from slavery. They passed through the Red Sea, which protected them from the military forces of Egypt. And then in the wilderness, they were fed. They were given water from the rock. They were given manna from the sky to eat. So God provided everything they needed. But despite God's grace and goodness, they grumbled. They complained. They practiced idolatry while Moses was away on the mountain. They engaged in immorality. They, they completely forgot how God had, had cared for them every day in that wilderness. And this, these wilderness experiences were recorded to warn 
yes, the Jews, but also us about how to not take God for granted, to not take advantage of his grace and to resist the trials that can so easily turn into temptations. Here's how. First, reject overconfidence. If you're using the Bible that's available here, it's on page 293. And so it begins, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. There in verse 12. Whenever believers become certain that they will not sin because of their own willpower or their supposed spiritual strength, they put themselves in a very dangerous place. Whenever we trust in ourselves, which often happens after we've accomplished some some great spiritual success, we've led someone to Christ, we've resisted temptation, maybe we've even escaped a damaging habit or a destructive addiction, addiction, and we're feeling wonderful about it. That's when we need to beware. Because when we feel so good about our accomplishments, we often slip into minimizing God's role in our deliverance. And we can take more credit than we deserve. We forget what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he said, when I am weak, in other words, when I know my limitations, when I know what I'm susceptible to, then I am strong. Christians who become self-confident, even proud, become less dependent on God's word, less reliant on his spirit, and can become more careless in their living. As carelessness increases, exposure to temptation expands. And the evil, the evil of sin, the awfulness of sin becomes desensitized to us and in us. So our resistance decreases. And we think that this won't affect me. I hope I don't need to tell you that our culture is deliberately being immersed in exposure to sin. Television shows, you don't have to go back far You don't have to go back to my childhood to see how rapidly television shows are more and more sensual. They they expose more and more uh, evil elements. It's happening in libraries. It's happening in schools. Our children are being immersed in it. You know, Leanne and I were watching, um, I think it was Prime, Amazon Prime, the other night, and we found a show, and it said it was you know, the rating was like for 14-year-olds. What do they put, TV 14 or something like that? And so we started watching this show, and we didn't get in it very long, and, and Leanne said, we better not watch this. And it was surprising how graphic it was when it was rated for 14-year-olds. I don't know what if it's rated for 16 or 18-year-olds. 
but it's not appropriate for 14-year-olds or 40-year-olds or 64-year-olds. It's not appropriate for believers to submerse ourselves in these scenes and these portrayals of sensuality because it desensitizes us and it can make us slip. When we feel most secure in ourselves, when we think our spiritual life is strongest and our doctrine is the soundest and our morals are the purest, that's when we should be most on our guard against Satan and most dependent on the Lord. You know, we have to keep watch all the time, don't we? We have to protect ourselves, shield our eyes, protect our minds, but we certainly have to protect our children, don't we? I don't, I mean, this is not news to you that this culture is trying to expose everything sensual, sexual, unbiblical to your children. You know that, right? Well, what are you doing about it? Sometimes parents can almost be embarrassed to tell their own children, we're not watching this. You're not watching this. Now, this has been going on for years. I mean, when my children were little, and they're now mothers, you know, we were watching The Little Mermaid. And we said, nope, no more Little Mermaid. Because The Little Mermaid sassed her father. So I started being sassed. (laughs) And I said, no more. You know, you might say something to me, but you're not going to be coached in it, you know, by the little mermaid. And so, and so some of you may say, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. But if you looked at that show, there was a lot of evil in it as well. And, and folks, we've got we've to shake off this idea that our culture's standards are appropriate for our homes, for our children. Because when your child is exposed to this young, you don't know what they will practice, but they'll likely practice what they've been exposed to all their lives. So you have to say, what? Can y'all say no? I mean, we've become so timid and we're so scared that someone will, 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 will be embarrassed, that someone will think that we're not open-minded or, or we're not mature or something. I mean, I'll tell you this. My wife and I, I don't know what kind of reputation we had because, we, you know, our kids, they'd go stay with people. And, you know, it wasn't unusual, but our children would call and say, hey, we're watching this show. Because it used to be cool for mothers to play sh- movies that were too old for the children. You know what I'm saying? This romantic sexuality kind of stuff wasn't harmless. And so these are elementary school kids. So, you know, my kids would say, well, I can stay in the kitchen or you can come get me. And I'd say, which one do you want to do? And sometimes it was come get me. Sometimes it was stay in the kitchen. And you say, well, you embarrassed your children. Yeah, probably. But my children would tell you today that the protection helped them and helped them enter their marriages in the right way. And so, folks, don't let anybody you don't trust raise your children. Be willing, be courageous enough to pick them up. And if the mother dislikes you 
can't you handle that? We're, we're, we're not in this world, particularly in the culture that we're in, to make sure everybody feels good about us. We, we must be watchful. Because Satan is watching. Do you think Satan's watching? How many of you think Satan is very well aware of your worst weaknesses? No, I'm going to see some hands. How many of you think that? Hold them up a minute. Now, why do you think I'm telling you to hold them up? Because I need to see it? Because you need to see it. Satan is more aware of your weaknesses than you are. And he knows how to bait the hook. He knows what it will take to manipulate you into a place of vulnerability. And so the devil and his demons will attempt to seduce all of us into sin because it damages our faith. It, it weakens our trust in God because we're immersed in shame so we don't come to God readily. Don't raise your hands for this, but have any of you ever experienced just being immersed in shame? It is a deep pit that's hard to get out of because you suffer so much recrimination, so much self-criticism that you almost feel like you don't deserve to ever get back to God. And you wallow where you are. That's Satan's trick. Because God always welcomes back because he's already sent the sacrifice for even that sin. But Satan tells us, oh no, you don't deserve this. And shame binds us where we can make no progress. But if we, if we think, okay, I'll never sin. I'm, I'm over this. I'm stronger than this. Our pride too makes us vulnerable because it will blind us to those very weaknesses and it will cause us to stop watching for dangers. Are you aware of your weaknesses? Do you live with a continual dependence on God? The next step is to refuse resentment. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You know, the trials and temptations that, that we face, that you face, might seem difficult, more difficult than what other people are, encountered, are encountering. Why? Why do you think? Why do you think that your trials are worse than anybody else's? Yeah, because they're happening to you. <laughs> and so in reality, what I'm suffering, what you're suffering is experienced and has been experienced by many, many other people, both now and throughout time. Yes, circumstances differ, but the trials and temptations of humanity are similar and always have been. But you see, if we think, if I think, if you think that we've had to suffer more than anyone else, then we can easily come to view ourselves as victims. And we're victims who are all powerful and always aware God is neglecting. 
We can even become jealous of other people who seem to not be struggling the way we are. And we can begin to blame God for our difficulties and become resentful of him. We may not articulate it that way, but our behavior reveals it. Our attitude slowly changes toward God. We trust him less. And that resentment, God won't do anything. God didn't do anything about this. God hasn't helped me here. God didn't help me there. And that resentment makes us rebellious. And it allows us to justify our revolt against God. If you remember those passages in Exodus, those Hebrews were saying, all we have to eat is this manna. I'm so sick of manna. I've got manna coming out of my ears. We, we used to have leeks and garlic, and we had all this in Egypt. Now, you were enslaved, but you had a better, more bounty to eat. And some of us can begin to think God is unfair. You won't articulate it. You may not even recognize it. It just settles down inside. Subconsciously almost. But you begin to think God's not fair. God's not caring. God's not interested in my pain. And we become disappointed in God. And, and we're, we're hurt. Because, you know, we're suffering in our situation and, and he's not doing anything. And, and we begin to justify our rebellion. We may think, well, since God doesn't care about me, what comes next? I don't care about him. Again, you may not articulate it. You'll just act on it. God didn't take care of my family when it split up. God didn't take care when I, when I became so sick. God didn't take care when my child suffered. God didn't take care when my grandchild suffered. God didn't take care when I lost my job. God didn't take care. Since he won't, I will do what I have to do so I can feel better. And often... This self-comfort, this attempt at self-comfort comes through sin. We unleash our anger on other people, our rage, and we justify doing it. We abuse alcohol or substances or engage in sexual immorality or wasteful spending or some other kind of mistreatment of other people. It may be that we just withdraw from everything and everybody, and we immerse ourselves in self-pity. And I hope none of you have experienced that, but some have. And, and what we do, we're trying to solve our bad feelings, our pain, our insecurity. Transformation prayer calls these solutions to our pain. But, but these kinds of solutions that we're manufacturing, they don't solve anything. They complicate and they intensify our problems. They damage our relationships with God and, and they harm our, our connection with others. 
So we separate ourselves from the support of others and the comfort and the grace and the strength of God. Again, it's not always that we articulate this about God. Some do. But some of us even, it's almost subconsciously working. But I'll, I'll say this from my experience. It doesn't have to be yours, but it's my experience. 30 years here and more years even before I came here. Every person I've experienced who walked away from God, turned their back on God, did so because of some painful event that caused them to think either God isn't real or if he is, he doesn't care. In my experience, people walk away They leave faith for emotional reasons, not intellectual ones. They may later use intellectual arguments, scientific arguments, but that's not where it started. It germinates from an emotional wound or injury first. And so we've got the wrong view of God. We let ourselves think wrong of God. God's God's really cruel toward me. God doesn't care. It's God's fault that I'm in this bad place, even this sinful place. But James tells us that's not true. Remember when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, our own wounds, our own needs our own motivations, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions. Well, well, what's the solution to that? What's the true solution? Do you know God? His identity. His motives. Do you truly know, have you experienced how he thinks about you? Because if you do, once you have experienced the love of God, then you won't discount that he cares even when hardship happens in your life. And it does in all of our lives. But the two are different. I can be struggling here. Boy, we we want our grandson to be healed. He hasn't been healed. But maybe we'll hear, even this week, that a transplant has been approved. Maybe. But, but we, we wanted a miraculous healing. We didn't have it. But, but that's not the same as doubting God cares for us. Well, how do you reconcile those? I can't. Because I know that my grandson has some struggles, which affects us all. And I know God loves me. And both of those are true. J.I. Packer called that an antinomy. Two truths that seem in opposition and they never intersect. But they're both true. They're both true. If you once know that God loves you, You will never doubt that he deals with you in love for your best. 
even if sometimes you just can't understand how it will happen. Then rely on God. Continue in verse 13. And God is faithful. He will not allow you the temptation, not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. What this says is no believer can claim he or she was overcome, overwhelmed, controlled by temptation. You can't say, earlier I said the wrong comedian. I said it was Richard Pryor. It wasn't Richard Pryor. The devil made me do it. Who was that? Who, what was this? Flip Wilson. Ooh. The devil. the devil did not make you do it. No one, not even Satan, can make us sin. No temptation is stronger than our spiritual resources. Look at Romans 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We sin, we rebel because we decide to. We do so willingly. And we can decide not to with God's help. 1 Peter 1, 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, this certainly means that God supplies supernatural power to resist enticements. That's being regenerated. When you're regenerated, when you're born again, you're infused with a new power. But, but I think it might include this too. Again, this is one of those things, you just think about it. You don't have to swallow it. You think about it. I think the ability to resist temptation to live a godly life includes living in the strength and by that I mean the identity of being a new creation, a new person. You are not the same as you used to be. And see, if I live and I speak and I act as a child of God always, I'm not as susceptible to temptations. In fact, temptations aren't as attracted to me. And if they do arise, then I won't yield to them. In other words, as I told you what it meant, I won't draw them in. I'll see them because our culture is saturated with this stuff. But I won't take it into my mind so that it ends up controlling my life. I'll reject it. I'll keep moving. So what identity do you display? Because see, if, you, if your friends and your acquaintances and your coworkers know you at a, as a Christian, do you realize they help keep you from sin? Their expectations of you help protect you, help shield you. But if you're playing all fast and loose, you know, you're in a dangerous place. 
So what do you display when you're out? Do you obscure your spiritual identity when you're socializing or when you're traveling on business? Would, it, would, you be, would your partners or your business associates be surprised to know you're a Christian? Because you see, if they know who you are, they help protect you. They help protect you. But if you hide it, you're in a dangerous place. Every one of these steps helps. You know, in, in the years that I've been here and I've dealt with a few situations, adultery that destroyed marriages and families. And, you know, sometimes when it's explained, it said, well, I just, I just met this person and this person was my love. And it was just, it just happened all at once. Do you think I accepted that? No, that wasn't one step. That was a result of 1,000 steps in the wrong direction. It didn't just happen because you bumped into this certain person. You've been looking around and open and batting your eyes for years before that ever happened. Anybody identify with anything I'm saying? Not for you, but for somebody you know. <laughs> because this is part of not yielding. But see, if we're all, you know, oh, we like being flirty and oh, hey, you, you. and then you, oh my goodness, look who's coming to, you know, my God. put a picture of your wife, a big, huge one, like four by six over your desk with her going. <laughs> you know, some, somebody comes in there with her man or woman, whatever, and they're all sashayed up and they got the, you know, all the, in there. Just, just start saying, Satan, get Satan out of here. They'll, hey, they'll leave you alone at the office, I promise you. God, deliver me from this vixen. Try that. That'll work. But, and that's how you respond to escape. Now, they'll think you're, listen, they'll think you're a nut. They, they will think you're a nut. But what do you value? You see what I'm saying? You want to be cool? You're a sitting duck. Finally, respond to escape. Continue in 13. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And this word endure in the Greek means to bear up under, to undergo hardship. And I think this is a good translation because it's saying a way. But I can tell you, in my thinking, I've always thought there might be a half a dozen ways, you know, and you'd get to choose which one you wanted to take. But there'd be all these. I'm not sure of that. And again, this is, this is my opinion, so you think about it. But a more literal translation here, a way is right, but I, I thought of it as, a bunch of different ways. This is a, a definite article, a singular article, and a singular noun. So it would be an accurate translation to say, God will show you the way out. One way out. You know, because sometimes we pass the first one by thinking, oh, another one's coming. No, no, you take the, 
you take the first one you see. And when we cry out to God for help in a trying situation, sometimes he does, but I think more often he doesn't just remove it miraculously. Sometimes he does. God may have told you, get out of this relationship. This person is not right for you. This person doesn't share common faith. And when you're stubborn, it may be that he moves to the other person. Who isn't a believer? And that person breaks up with you because you won't do it. And the danger's too great. So sometimes God intervenes miraculously. But he starts with you. Usually, the way of escape from temptation, much more commonly, is by passing through it. You know what I'm saying here? We'd like for him to just ghost it away. It's vanished. It's not vanished. That same person keeps coming around, doesn't he or she? That same situation keeps arising. That same temptation is right there. And we endure the temptation by being exposed to it, but refusing to bring it in. Refusing to yield to it. We do see the attraction. We're offered the experience. I mean, they're all over our culture. That's why I said we have to protect ourselves and protect our children because, boy, this world is pouring this stuff into our homes. But we refuse invitations that will be difficult to resist. And we respond to the way of escape by taking it. Avoid the situations that you know could tempt you. You know what, if, if, if you've had a trouble with alcohol and the buddies are all going out to the bar, you just might have to say, I can't go. I am too scared to go. We got to get over this embarrassment. I'm too embarrassed to say no. Mm-mm. It's too important that we don't yield. Avoid people. Avoid the people that, that you enjoy, that you know would enjoy enticing you to compromise your convictions. You know, Leanne and I went to uh, Statesboro, Georgia a couple of months ago, 50th anniversary of my fraternity. And I, I mean, I loved these guys. My dear wife, you know, was <laughs> there for me. But, you know, she didn't know any of these people. But these, were, these, these men were so close to me so many years ago. But you know what? I couldn't live with a lot of them today. We're just, we, we were okay for a few days together, but I couldn't live with them ongoing. Some of them have lifestyles that would be too foreign. And so, unfortunately, sometimes we have to cut off people that, that mean a lot to us, that we share a history with, but it's just too threatening. And if you don't think you can resist... You know what you have to do? Do you know? 2 Timothy 2, 22. You run. Y'all say that loud. Say it. Run. One more time, louder. 
Yes, I'm going to run. And if they make fun of me, let them laugh. I'm running from anything and anyone that stimulates youthful lust. You say, well, goodness, I'm 60 years old. I'm 50. What do you mean youthful lust? Well, lust starts young. It just lingers long. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Do you have those kinds of friends? Do you have someone who calls on the Lord with a pure heart? That's the person you date. That's the person you marry. That's the person you join in a small group with. That's the person you pal around with. Not someone that pulls you down. Someone that helps build you up and spurs you toward holy living. Let's all pray that God will not allow test that all of us are going to experience to become temptations to sin. The memory verse for this week is a good one to know, Matthew 26. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And you know what? Our bodies do not get conformed perfectly in life. The spirit is willing, but our bodies are always tainted. And we're, we're been justified and we're being sanctified, but sanctification is never complete this side of heaven. Care volunteers will be here. They'll also be in the care connection room. If I've said anything that touched you that you want to talk to someone and pray with and have them, you know, help you take some steps, then... This is a good place to begin. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. Father, we ask that we would love you more than we love the things of this world. That we would not cling to ourselves. That we would not take into our lives anything that would separate us from you. Anything that would damage or diminish our intimacy with you. Help us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit always. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here's this week's memory verse, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Throughout the week, express gratitude for the divine protection and power that enables you to resist the adversarial temptations. Pray for introspective insights to highlight any potential areas of vulnerability and for the fortitude to navigate any challenges that may arise. If you're just joining us for the Jesus at the Center of Prayer series, there is a daily devotional that you can follow. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional on the Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. We appreciate you listening today, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.